Hello and welcome to another episode of Precision Insights. Today we are completing the two-part series of pharmacogenetics in primary care. As you may know from part one, I'm Dr. Martin Dawes, Genexis's Chief Scientific Officer and Co-Founder, and I'll be your host today. I'm joined again by Andrea Collins, a clinical pharmacist who leads project management at Genexis. This episode, we're going to continue our discussion on the implementation of pharmacogenetics in primary care. Andrea, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Martin. Nice to be here on the uh, other side of the, <laughs> the microphone today. <laughs> Which is the hardest, do you think? Is asking the questions or answering the questions? I guess it depends who you're talking to. <laughs> <laughs> I think we have a pretty good relationship, though, so it's, it's fun on both sides. Yeah. So we've been working together for eight years, something like that. Yeah, just I think around seven, but yeah, yeah. feels feels like longer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm not quite sure how to tell you that. <laughs> All right, getting back on track before we go off too crazily. So to refresh the listeners' memories, would you like to reintroduce yourself and give a background on you and your role at Genexus? Sure, yeah. So uh, my background is as a pharmacist. So I completed my pharmacy degree at UBC and I, I knew I wanted to work in a more clinical setting. I never really wanted to work in community pharmacy per se, but I didn't realize kind of the breadth of different roles within community pharmacy. So after graduating, I did my uh, one year post-grad uh, community-based residency. And within that, I was able to see pharmacists working in so many different innovative practice settings. And that was actually also how I was introduced to you and Genexis, uh, which was at its very early development stages at that point. And so, yeah, after I finished the residency, I started working at a primary care clinic where I was embedded um, within the clinic, helping physicians manage complex patients. And within there, I really saw a lot of different patients, many of whom you know, struggled with chronic pain and also um, sensitivity to medications. And so around the same time, I also started with Genexis uh, just at kind of a, a research level. And so it was really interesting to learn more about pharmacogenetics, which I hadn't had much exposure to at that point, and really what its impact could be on medications. Uh, so, you know, over the last yeah, seven years or so, I continued balancing both the, the primary care practice as well as um, I work at Genexis. And then, you know, during the pandemic, when everyone <laughs> went home, uh, our practice also shut down for a little bit. And I also moved to a new city. So at that point, I transitioned to Genexis full time. And currently, I'm product manager here at Genexis. Uh, so basically, I, my goal is really to make sure that our customers have a great user experience and derive value from our solutions. That's great. And so you touch on pharmacogenetics. So for uh, maybe listeners who are a bit new to this, what is a pharmacogenetic test? Yeah, so uh, pharmacogenetic tests can look differently depending on what kind of test you get done. So the really basic one would be a panel where you look at very specific genes that are related to drug metabolism and also response. And so when you look at those genes, you can tell for each individual person what type of effect that they might have uh, on their response to a medication. As we get more research, we learn more and more about different genes that might impact medication response and safety and efficacy. And so those panels have, have slowly gotten bigger, but you can also get pharmacogenetic feedback from larger panels or whole genome sequencing, for example, where you can pull out 
different uh, genes of interest. So generally, I think what most people will see is, you know, a, a cheek swab kit in a pharmacy, they can go purchase that, uh, wait a couple weeks, get the results back, and then they can see, uh, you know, what their own metabolizer status is for some of those main genes, and it can give them one more piece of information when they're working with their prescribers and other healthcare professionals to try and figure out, you know, what medication might be the safest and most effective for them in combination with all the other things we talked about in the last podcast, you know, looking at other lab values, drug-drug interactions, et cetera. So I think it's been evolving. It's definitely more accessible to patients now than it was, you know, 10 years ago, where you can really go into a pharmacy and, and purchase a test. It doesn't have to be initiated through a healthcare provider always. Um, but yeah, it's exciting to see that be more accessible to patients. So, so walk me through that process. So I'm a patient and, you know, maybe my sister's had a, an adverse drug event and my doctor said I ought to start this drug. How does the conversation go with a pharmacist? Yeah, so I think um, in that case, you know, we have kind of the preemptive pharmacogenetic testing and then also reactive. So uh, ideally, you know, everyone would get a preemptive test. So we, we know what their metabolizer status is and their, um, you know, the results are for certain genes before we prescribe medication. And so in this situation, you know, we, we know that certain genes will run within a family, so they're inherited. And so knowing that someone's uh, close relative had a certain reaction to a medication makes it more likely that they might have a similar reaction. And so in this case, you know, if, if we have time and it's not an urgent start uh, to the medication, so say you're looking at a medication, you know, for depression or anxiety, where you might be on that medication for quite a while, um, and it can really impact your quality of life, uh, it might be a good idea for that, you know, physician or a pharmacist, uh, whoever's working with the patient to initiate getting a pharmacogenetic test done, uh, just to have some peace of mind and to know um, where we can, uh, what um, a patient's reaction to a medication might be. So trying to get away from that one size fits all approach where, you know, try this, see how it goes. Uh, it's nice to be able to have a little bit more of a tailored approach because we know that, you know, one of the main reasons people don't stay on medications is side effects. Uh, so if we can help select a medication that is least likely to have side effects, then hopefully they'll have a more successful treatment, better outcomes, um, better quality of life. Excellent. So as I'm talking to the pharmacist, they may then identify that I might benefit from a pharmacogenetic test. Do mm -hmm. I have to pay for it or is it covered by insurance? Uh, it really depends where you are. So, uh, you know, in Canada, yeah, Green Shield Canada um, is a great leader in this. So they, they have been covering pharmacogenetic testing for um, certain patients who meet specific uh, criteria. And so patients can get a fully covered pharmacogenetic test. Um, and in certain other areas, there might be coverage as well uh, through insurance providers. But generally, at this point, I'd say that most people, uh, if they do want to test, are paying out of pocket. Um, sometimes they can you know, reimburse themselves through a health spending account, uh, through work. Um, but I'd say that we're not quite there yet with people being able to get this covered, even if we think um, or know that it will you know, be beneficial in the long term in terms of medication management. Okay, so that's good to know. Say I'm lucky enough, I've got Green Shield coverage through my employer or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. what's, what's the next step? What, what actually happens? Uh, and then how do you, as the pharmacist, manage this? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so that's a great question. So one of the things is really setting expectations. So once we've decided to do a pharmacogenetic test, really what we're trying to look at is, you know, which tests include genes that are going to be useful to my patient. Um, ideally, you know, the more genes you can test, the better, because we know that, you know, your genetics aren't going to change over your lifetime. So, you know, test once and then use those results many times. Uh, so really knowing what we're looking to treat the patient for and then making sure that the pharmacogenetic tests that we choose will include genes that are relevant to those medications. And just talking to the patient about, you know, what to expect from the test. Usually it's pretty non-invasive, as we said, just usually a cheek swab or saliva sample. Um, so it's pretty quick to do, um, but also setting those expectations around uh, the benefit. So, you know, of course, it is just one more piece of the puzzle, um, and it really can help the pharmacist look at um, potential alternative medications if the one that we're looking at prescribing, um, you know, is likely to have more side effects based on their genetics. Um, but, you know, some patients really pin all of their hopes on these pharmacogenetic tests, and so it's just important that, uh, you know, we, we keep the expectations realistic in terms of the benefit uh, of the testing. Okay, so I've got the test, I have it done. Um, then what happens? Uh, I, I come back to you or do I go back to my doctor? Because um, don't they do the prescribing or do you do the prescribing? Yeah, so I guess it depends where you are as well. Um, I think pharma, you know, pharmacist roles have really evolved over the last several years, uh, especially in Canada. There's some provinces where pharmacists do have prescribing rights. Um, and, and they really do have the ability to help their patients get on the right medications, the right doses. Uh, of course, all of this is done within, you know, a circle of care. So we don't have, you know, pharmacists just, you know, disregarding what physicians are saying and going off on their own. You know, everyone wants to work together to try and find, you know, the best result uh, or the best medication for the patient. So, you know, I would say from a, a medication and pharmacology uh, perspective, you know, pharmacists do have that um, deep knowledge of pharmacology, pharmacokinetics, pharmacodynamics, uh, which you really do need to understand how some of these uh, genes will impact medication response. Uh, so I do think a good first touch point uh, once the pharmacogenetic results are back would be with the pharmacist. Uh, and so they could meet with the patient, go over the results, uh, perhaps make some recommendations to their prescriber or, you know, initiate uh, a dose change if appropriate and if they have the ability to do so. So yeah, that's the first touch point with the pharmacist, I think. You know, it, it's great. Uh, pharmacists do feel, I think, a little bit more confident in that than physicians. And so I think it's, it's good to have that uh, relationship, obviously, because what we do see is that where pharmacogenetics are implemented in the community through community pharmacists, if the pharmacists have the relationship with the physicians and the physicians trust the pharmacist, uh, they're much more likely to accept the recommendations and then move forward with changes uh, in regards to the pharmacogenetics. So I, I think I remember a, a, a trial in, in Toronto where pharmacists were working with, with physicians. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Actually, that was a great, um, a great study. So yeah, John Papasturgio is a pharmacist and he owns a couple of different pharmacies back east. And so they were able to show in their pharmacy that they could uh, identify patients for pharmacogenetic testing 
do the pharmacogenetic testing, then do a medication review to go over the results of the patients and make recommendations back to the physicians. And they actually saw, you know, some real world, world benefits for the patients. So they, they were looking at patients with mental health um, conditions, depression and anxiety, and they actually saw a clinically significant improvement in the patients who had pharmacogenetic testing done versus standard of care. So that was a, that was a great proof of concept just to show, you know, that it can be done. I think the biggest barrier that we see, though, is just, you know, trying to find a reimbursement in the community, but also time, because we know that, you know, pharmacists in community pharmacies, you know, they have so much on their plate already. Uh, and, and if there's no reimbursements for services like this, it can be really tough to clear enough time or, um, you know, to find the rationale to put aside time uh, to spend yeah. that um, so that's, that's it, one of the Does it have to take 20 or 30 minutes? Uh, I mean, you know, isn't that what we're trying to do is to speed up that process? How yeah. are we doing that? Yeah, so I think um, if you have technology to support the implementation, so yeah, as you're alluding at, you know, the clinical decision support uh, software is really key for this. You know, if it's a pharmacist reading through a 50 plus page report uh, and trying to make sense of that for the patient and then layer on top of the pharmacogenetics, you know, all the other patient factors, yeah, you just get into this kind of unsustainable circle of, you know, getting information that you then can't deal with. And so we all know that, you know, you'd never order a lab test for a patient if you weren't able to use that or, or take clinical action on that, really. So same thing with pharmacogenetics. You know, we want to make it usable and we want to make it usable in a short period of time because that's all people have. So these clinical decision support systems, they can incorporate genetics, the patient's current medications, all the other factors that you might have to consider when looking at safety and efficacy of a medication. Uh, and then they present it, you know, in a way to the pharmacist that the pharmacist can then make, you know, the final determination, because we all know, you know, there's so, there's so much nuance that goes into selecting a medication. The patient also has to have some input. So depending on what their values are, as you say, you know, even if their pharmacogenetics don't indicate that there's likely to be a problem, if a family member has had an issue with the medication, you just have to have that trust with the patient and the confidence that, you know, they're going to take it and they're going to take it as prescribed. Um, because if you don't have that, then of course, you know, they're basically not taking the medication. They're not going to get the benefit. Yeah. Medications don't work if you don't take them. Um, <laughs> it's, it's absolutely right. So, but is this a parallel system? So, I mean, I know the pharmacists I work with do medication reviews, which are fantastic. Mm -hmm. And they'll fax me something and say, did you realize the patient's still taking this? Or are you sure about this dose? It, do they have to do a parallel system for the medication review with pharmacogenetics? So I think it's a great way to incorporate actually the pharmacogenetics into these medication reviews. So most provinces in Canada, um, and I know, you know, in the U.S. through Medicare, there is reimbursement for these medication reviews, medication therapy management. Uh, so looping pharmacogenetics into that as one piece of the puzzle and not keeping it, you know, as a separate entity, uh, is I think really important. So, you know, in Canada, Green Shield does provide some funding uh, for pharmacists reviewing uh, pharmacogenetic results with patients, which is great. And you can layer that on top of, you know, a medication review funding or other health coaching. So there is funding out there uh, to provide these services. You just have to be smart about it and also be, I think, just open to <laughs> using new resources. Uh, you know, we know that pharmacists and, and healthcare providers in general, right, it's really hard to change practice and to get them outside of their comfort zone. But 
once you start implementing things like pharmacogenetics and you have a smooth system, so you have the technology in place for it, um, you have potential reimbursement, then some of the barriers just start to fall away. And, and then you can really start to see the benefit in your patients. And then that would drive further, further change. Yeah, I mean, I think this is like having a phone without buttons on it, um, <laughs> or, or known as a smartphone now. And absolutely, it is a change in technology. So would the would the family physician, because um, I'm speaking from that perspective, just get the one report? Or would they get a medication review from the pharmacist and a pharmacogenetic report faxing through to them? I mean, the ideal would all be in one uh, because, you know, a medication review, the, the purpose of that is to review a patient's medications, looking at, are they being effective? Are they safe for the patient? Are they experiencing side effects? Um, the other aspects would be, you know, can they adhere to them? Can they afford them? Uh, are they actually taking them, you know, with, with statin medications? We see that a lot, you know, patients will say they're taking them and then they don't. Um, so I think all of those pieces go into a medication review and then the pharmacogenetics just complement that. So, uh, you know, they, they might offer pharmacogenetic results might offer a reason why a patient isn't responding to medication, or it might offer some additional information when you're looking at alternative recommendations, uh, for medication that might not be working as well for the patient. So, you know, we, we don't really want to be faxing, you know, pharmacogenetic reports back and forth because it's you know, it's just going to be stored as a PDF. It's not going to be opened. Um, what we really want is, is it in an applicable, usable form that the, the clinician can then take action on. Yeah, excellent. And, and you've talked to pharmacists. You're not, you know, this is not just coming from you where you're an enthusiast working, obviously, with a company that, that does this. <laughs> so what's been your feedback when you've talked to pharmacists out there, either in Canada or the United States? Yeah, I think, I mean, pharmacists are ready to be the champions of pharmacogenetics. You know, they see the value, um, they see the potential for patients. And, and really, because they're one of the most accessible healthcare providers, they're having these conversations with patients all the time about, you know, medications not working, um, the patient's experiencing side effects. So they see, you know, what, uh, what the result is for patients taking medications that just aren't working for them or aren't right for them. Um, so I think there is a lot of enthusiasm around, you know, this extra tool that we can use. Um, but on top of that, you know, we, we do need to have more education, more infrastructure in terms of support and, and time. Because um, I think, you know, one thing we've seen from all of our healthcare professionals, right, is that burnout. Mm. Um, you know, pharmacists were the ones who were still in the pharmacies throughout the pandemic, even when all the other offices were closed. Um, so they just had a lot of pressure put on them. But I think now that, you know, things are normalizing a little bit more, I think, uh, you know, there is interest in some of these more clinical services, especially as the cost is coming down. And so it's more accessible to patients. So it's, yeah, just one more tool, I guess, in the pharmacist toolkit when they're, you know, looking at improving medication safety and efficacy. Are there any dangers in doing this for a pharmacist if they're working, um, you know, and they, they have patients coming in and asking, is, is there anything that they should be aware of that they should be cautious about? Yeah, I mean, from a patient's perspective, I know patients are often worried about what the information will be used for, and there's not always a full understanding of, of, you know, what is pharmacogenetics versus just a genetic test. Um, and so pharmacogenetics is really targeting those genes that we know are involved in medication response. Um, so the results of that test are going to be actionable. So you can take action on it and alter medication therapy to try and avoid side effects or ineffective therapy. 
for larger genetic tests, so for rare diseases, for example, and sometimes these tests are all bundled together. Um, so that's why you do need to know what, what kind of test the patient is getting. Um, then that can return some information about rare disease risk, which many patients may not want, um, because sometimes there's nothing you can do about it. So you might know that you have an increased risk of Alzheimer's, but if there's nothing you can really do about it, um, that's information that most people probably wouldn't want. Uh, so there's that in terms of that information. In terms of, you know, discrimination, um, there are laws in place uh, in both Canada and the U.S. that protect um, patients uh, from, you know, employers or insurance companies using pharmacogenetic or genetic data um, to discriminate. So th those protections are in place. So that's from the patient point of view. I mean, from the healthcare provider point of view, you know, there's often a concern that, you know, what if I get a pharmacogenetic result and then, you know, I don't use it or I forget about it and a patient gets an adverse reaction, will it come back to me and, and I'll be, you know, the one who is getting the heat for that? So, I mean, that's something that we have to work through. I think it is a risk for sure, but that I think shows the importance of having EHRs and pharmacy management systems that can store the data in a usable way and not just a PDF report. Um, so clinical decision support can help support, you know, the use of that uh, data until we have a better way to store it within the patient health records. Um, but yeah, that, that's one thing that we'll have to address going forward for sure, trying to keep patient safety first. Yeah, I, I think making sure that the information is always available to whomever is actually uh, evaluating the prescribing is, is going to be important going forward. And there are systems that, that help with that. In terms of the pharmacist and, and the patient in front of them saying, well, which lab? I've seen advertisements for a couple of labs. How do you choose a lab uh, to do the test? Yeah, so I think it's important to look at labs that are based, you know, in the in the region or country that you're you're getting the testing done. Um, that just helps in terms of you know the data isn't going uh, across country uh, or you know across the border. Uh, so you know in Canada, looking for labs that do their testing and are based in Canada, uh, and also making sure that they are accredited and certified. So um, you know there's CAF accreditation, uh, which you know labs have to go through a rigorous process to get approved for that. Uh, so that's, that's something to look for. And then also just looking for, you know, what the different panels are. So every lab offers different panels. And so, you know, one lab's panel might be small and targeted at a certain area. Um, so depending on what the patient's needs are, I, I would always recommend looking for a lab that covers a broad range of, of genes just to get the most, you know, bang for your buck um for patients but you also want to be careful about labs offering too many genes that we don't have clinical action ability for yet uh, and that can often give some conflicting advice that might not always be evidence-based at that point i mean i think it, I, I, it was a very unfair question uh, because i i know that the united kingdom is actually talking about implementing pharmacogenetics and, and they haven't chosen their panel yet because mm -hmm. there is this uh, trade-off between being too comprehensive and maybe the evidence not being so high and having too few genetic tests and then it not being useful. Mm -hmm. um, and I think people just haven't quite got to that steady state where we say this is a primary care pharmacogenetic panel. We're close. Do you think that's something that um, we as an organization and others can help pharmacists and, and other healthcare professionals with some advice on that? 
Yeah, I think what it really comes down to is, yeah, looking at what the evidence says. And so, you know, there's different levels of evidence and there's some really strong guideline groups out there like CPIC who are offering clinically actionable guidelines. So, you know, looking at uh, the drugs and the genes and, you know, their interaction, I think is, is really important. And then, yeah, distilling down, you know, which, which of these will be clinically utilizable, which, which are not. Um, so I think we do know that there's a core, you know, especially the SIP genes, um, they have so much impact on, you know, the majority of medications that we use in primary care. Uh, so they are good ones to have at the core there. And then, yeah, just really looking at the, the clinical utility uh, of those genes. I think, I think a lot of groups that are doing pharmacogenetic testing and reporting on it, yeah, have a lot of insight into that because yeah. you know, we've done the research and have that readily available. Yeah, I, I would expect any lab to be able to explain why they've got their, these genes on their panel and help the person advising the patient to understand what, why that's there. Yes, absolutely. In terms of, you know, your, the pharmacist role in pharmacogenetics, is there anything else that you think is important to add at this stage? Uh, I think, you know, remembering that pharmacists do have that, you know, pharmacodynamic, pharmacokinetic knowledge that I think is key to implementing pharmacogenetics. And, you know, pharmacists are keen to look at pharmacogenetics, interpret that and help their patients then get on the right medications. I think, you know, pharmacists can't do it alone. So I think that, you know, that circle of care for patients is important. But I think, you know, the, the really the key for helping pharmacists really implement this for patients and, and succeeding is that reimbursement. I think that's what we're going to need to see improve. I think we're on our way. I think we've seen, you know, some leaders in the field uh, recognizing that and supporting that. Uh, and I think it will only improve as we move along. Yeah. I mean, you know, from my point of view, working closely with pharmacists, whether in hospital or in the community has been always so rewarding, both professionally, but also for the care of patients. So I, you know, this is definitely uh, healthcare is a team sport. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, I see it as a relay and passing over the baton and making sure that everyone is um, included in that information and process of care. So Exactly. Yeah. Everyone has to, everyone has to work together and everyone's knowledge, you know, complements everyone else. There is some overlap, but you, you know, you have your specialists in each area and, and it just, you know, stops things from falling through the cracks. So even if you might know, um, you know, everything there is to know about pharmacogenetics or a certain yeah. uh, medication, it's, it's always good to have a second uh, opinion on that. And it also frees up time for, you know, physicians, nurse practitioners, yeah. um, you know, to, to work on other things. So. Yeah, no, absolutely. Look, this has been terrific. I know we could talk for another hour or two, <laughs> but I just want to thank you very much for your time and the conversation. It's been terrific. Yeah, thanks, Martin. It's been a joy.